Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is a Thursday of Holy Week. It is also April the 1st, which makes it April Fool's Day. Um, and every year on the 1st of April, I think we all proceed, if we if we haven't thought about it already, maybe we should um, proceed a little more cautiously, particularly if you're going to read social media or, you know, answer your phone today. Just be mindful. It is April Fool's Day. Maybe it's a day that we should all be a little more skeptical. Um, but we... Uh, we also should note the irony for Christians, and that is that every day is really a fool's day for us because we are, in fact, fools for Christ. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miracles or miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than man's strength. So friends, as we approach uh, Easter Sunday, let us consider the fool's errand of going to retrieve the colt of a donkey for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, or consider the foolish challenge to temple authorities and turning over the tables of the money changers, or consider how Judas was played the fool and how Jesus was condemned a fool by the Jews and the Romans alike. April is a month for fools when it comes to Christianity. And so as we approach Calvary's cross and Easter's empty tomb, we are wise to remember that in the eyes of the world, the claims of Christianity are foolish. The people of Corinth the Christians in Corinth, to whom Paul wrote, valued human wisdom. They esteemed knowledge, ability, and instruction. They scorned ignorance. But the gospel upends every possible piece of conventional wisdom. Human wisdom says, you know, come as a king into battle. God came as a helpless baby, born into poverty, riding into Jerusalem on the cold of a donkey, mocked and crucified. Human wisdom says, spend time with the powerful, connected and the wealthy. But Jesus gravitated to the outcast, the sick, the rejected, and the needy. Human wisdom says, establish a political kingdom with armies and consolidate your power and rule from a position of power. And God calls forth a ragtag church made of imperfect people and sends them into all the world with the power of the Holy Spirit on a fool's errand. Human wisdom has no category for a God who would condescend to earth 
and live among sinners and die the death we deserve. Our logic-driven minds cannot comprehend why the Almighty God would subject himself to the humiliating criminal's death on a cross. And yet that is exactly what he did. And add to that the fantastical claims of the resurrection, which sounds like folly to a person who has been taught to trust nothing they cannot see with their own eyes, touch with their own hands, or verify with their own empirical experience. So, if you feel like a fool today, in the midst of those around you who believe in something other than reality as it really is, you're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus was on a fool's errand all along, a good guy who got caught up in a bad political and religious system that did him in, right? Well, that's the vantage point of the non-believer. They see wisdom to be learned from Jesus as a good teacher, but they see no power in the cross and no glory in the empty tomb. Our errand, as the fools of this day, of this April fools, is to embrace the foolishness of the gospel and then extend it to more and more people. So let's walk by faith and not by sight today. And when it comes to the cross, let's be counted fools. Next up, I got Ben Johnson. We've got a range of topics to cover. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. All right, joining me now as he does every Thursday, Reverend Ben Johnson, executive editor of the Acton Institute's journal, Religion and Liberty. He also edits their transatlantic website. You can find what he is writing, and he has written a lot this week at blog.acton.org. Ben, welcome back. Good as always to be with you, Carmen. Okay, it's bananas out there today. Um, so let's start with um, let's start with this headline. Dozens of LGBTQ students at Christian colleges. Now, we could hard pause right there and have a conversation. Dozens of LGBTQ students at Christian colleges. But let's go on. Sue, the U.S. Education Department, hoping to pressure Equality Act negotiations. What in the world is going on? You're right. This is this is a sort of a banana story. What's happening is that uh, 33 students, as you mentioned, uh, more than two dozen students, are suing the Department of Education over the religious exemption that it grants to Christian universities that receive federal funding and federal student loans. What they're saying is that uh, these institutions, quote-unquote, discriminate against people who are uh, either gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or who uh, have a different gender identity who are transgender. And since these organizations, quote-unquote, discriminate because of the religious exemption that is given to them, and the federal government is subsidizing them through either direct funding through research and, and things like that, or through federal uh, direct aid, Pell Grants, and uh, federal student loans, which are federally guaranteed and offered by the federal government, that the federal government should drop its religious exemption so that any organization that receives federal funding cannot have a policy that says 
homosexuality or transgenderism is a violation of their student conduct code. That's what's happening. Uh, you'll hear it said that uh, they're suing these colleges. They're not actually suing the colleges. They're suing the Department of Education, but the colleges are the intended target. It's very important that we remember that. They're not being sued directly, just like uh, Xavier Becerra, when he was Attorney General of California, didn't directly sue the Little Sisters of the Poor. He sued the administration. They're doing the same thing, but the target is the same. It's to break the Christian identity and the Christian morality, which is expressed by these Christian universities. We're talking about schools like uh, Bob Jones University, uh, Baylor University, Liberty University. Um, there are a number of what I would describe as, you know, Lee Lee uh, in Tennessee. Um, a lot of what I would describe as um, large um diverse Christian colleges and universities um, that would be represented uh, among the schools uh, where these students currently attend. But this is not limited to those schools. Can you can you describe to us the scope of um, of what would happen should this um, should this lawsuit, you know, frankly, uh, succeed? Well, it's not simply limited to these colleges or universities, and it's not simply uh, really restricted just to universities themselves. Ultimately, it will target churches. You mentioned Bob Jones University. It's no no accident in my book that the lead plaintiff in this, uh, Hunter, in Hunter versus DOE, is from Bob Jones University. Because you remember, Bob Jones had such a, a, a distinction uh, because it had, it had uh, lost its IRS tax exemption back in the 1970s over its refusal to... Uh, uh, to allow interracial dating. To put that in the forefront of people's imaginations, that's why they are mentioning Bob Jones University in the front of this, to equate homosexual activity with a ban on interracial dating. Now, I believe that uh, we agree there's nothing in the Bible that bans interracial dating among Christians. Nothing whatsoever. When it comes to homosexual, uh, homosexual conduct, homosexuality, and transgenderism, that's a whole different kettle of fish, theologically speaking. But the idea is to equate these two things in the public imagination, to ground it down to nothing but base prejudice to make it that much easier to succeed. Now, if if it does succeed, then any college or university that has a moral exemption, uh, any evangelical Christian university, any Catholic university that's faithful to the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church, any Eastern Orthodox university, would then lose its exemption uh, under this uh, under this uh, uh, lawsuit and would not be able to receive federal funding if it still maintained its Christian identity on sexual issues. Uh, and it would go far beyond simply the idea of of uh, banning certain kinds of conduct. It rejects the idea, the entire idea of loving the sinner and hating the sin. There's the distinctions just obliterated in this. In the lawsuit itself, which is filed in Oregon, uh, it says that the Civil Rights Act does not recognize an identity conduct distinction, which is to say anyone who is opposed to homosexual conduct or transgender conduct, in the words of the lawsuit, in quote, in fact, target LGBTQ plus identity. So it's impossible to be lesbian, homosexual, bisexual, or transgender on a Christian university unless you can express yourself, that is, uh, by actively breaking the codes of conduct at these universities. So the universities will either have to drop that 
or they will have to give up federal funding altogether. That's that's what's happening here. And it's not simply the universities that are named. It is every Christian university, every faithful university of any religion, uh, Jewish or Muslim or any other religion that has a similar kind of co- code of conduct would have to drop that altogether. Yeah, I think Christian uh, schools of every variety better get ready um, for an end to any kind of um, money that is attached in any way, shape, or form to the federal government. And that's going to include um, students who uh, are getting their funding for their education from the federal government through uh, through grants in addition to loans. So I, I just, I, I you know, I think it's time to probably just for Christian institutions to absolutely prepare themselves for this reality. Um, we got to take a very brief break. When Ben Johnson and I come back, we're going to um, spend a little bit of time. I mean, we are going to dip our toe. There's not, there's no way we could plumb the depths of President Biden's proposed infrastructure plan, nor the tax implications of it. But without fear, that's where we're headed next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, you you can and should read um, what Ben is posting at blog.acton.org. He's got a ton of great stuff up there right now. Um, ben, before we leave the topic of the Equality Act and this lawsuit brought by LGBTQ-identified students at Christian colleges um, against the Department of Education, maybe you could give us, I don't know, a prediction uh, of an outcome. I would like to go on the record here because uh, there's there's a lot that's going on here, and I want to give up the game that is being played here because it's an old game. It's something that the Obama administration did quite a bit, and the Biden administration essentially has a carryover of personnel from the Obama administration. They're back to the exact same thing that's been done before. Uh, during the Obama administration, they had regular meetings through uh, what was called the Office of Public Engagement with left-wing organizations, and they worked out a sort of a pincher movement strategy above and below to squeeze those of us who were in the middle. Essentially, left-wing organizations would come out and either set down a demand or they would hold a protest or in many cases they would sue the administration. And then the Obama administration, rather than contesting it in court, would simply settle. And they would give the organization that was suing them whatever it was they were asking for without the without having to go through court. There's no democratic accountability. They don't have to pass any legislation. They don't even have to go through the court process because they make a settlement. And I think you're going to see the exact same thing in the Biden administration. Biden is going to come up and uh, someone in the in the Department of Education, one of their lawyers is going to come up and say, here is a settlement that we're going to have. We've got this problem uh, within our universities, and so we're going to try to settle this. Uh, Ultimately, I think it will fall to Christians and those who are in Christian universities and Christian churches to uh, defend the religious exemption, to defend themselves under the First Amendment, and uh, that's going to become more and more difficult in court, particularly if uh, the Equality Act becomes law. But I think ultimately the Biden administration is going to try its best to settle this out of court. Now, Now that I've given up the game, maybe Maybe uh, you and I in this program may have uh, forestalled that because of our profound influence. But if not, uh, then it, may, it very well may be that the DOE will, uh, will try to give these students and the organizations behind them everything that they're asking for without due process of the law. Yeah, there are regular meetings now um, with uh, what used to be the faith outreach um, or the Office of uh, of Faith-Based Organizations um, in the White House. It's now just, um, it's just like a communities 
uh, outreach. They have regular phone calls, and they're absolutely strategic and designed to mobilize. There's just no, no question about it. That's uh, that's clearly what's going on. All right. So um, people are going to be hearing about and talking about um, Biden's infrastructure plan, which is not just about infrastructure. It is about a whole host and range of things, and it does not include um, a whole family plan that he is also intending to apparently roll out in the coming weeks. Um, huge tax implications for these massive spending uh, spending plans. Talk with us a little bit about this. Well, we alluded to it a little bit last week. At that time, we didn't have the details. But yesterday, Biden was in uh, Pittsburgh, where he kicked off his campaign initially. Uh, he picked it because it was a union town. And I thought it was uh, somewhat revelatory. At the very beginning, he said that uh, unions built the middle class. And he was talking to a union official sort of off the cuff. He said it's time that the unions, quote, get a piece of the action. And that's uh, in large part what you're going to see, not just in this particular bill, but uh, throughout, uh, a skewing as much as possible toward uh, those organizations like labor unions uh, that are part of his coalition. But labor unions particularly uh, are a favorite cause of his. Uh, there's a call to uh, put the PRO Act, which we've talked about in the past, that would strike down all right-to-work laws as part of this infrastructure bill or its uh, child care uh, component, the family component, that's going to be revealed sometime in this coming month. Uh, this so-called infrastructure bill, $2 trillion dollars, uh, the uh, other bill that's going to be forthcoming about families is probably going to be at least as large, possibly $3 trillion. Together, the price tag initially was $5.7 trillion. This is an enormous budget-busting proposal in either of its components, let alone taken together. Most of this so-called infrastructure bill doesn't really deal with infrastructure. There's about $600 billion uh, that does deal with infrastructure, as we traditionally think of it, roads, bridges, things of that, which is what he highlighted in his public remarks. Uh, but then there are things like building electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, electric vehicles are less than 5% of all U.S. vehicle sales. They fell last year. There are, only, uh, there are less than 2 million electric vehicles in the entire country. So he's talking about building, uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, one for every fourth vehicle that's on the road in addition to what's already there. Uh, this is very clearly intended to try to move us toward electric vehicles. Uh, since they run on electric, though, our, our electricity is generated by coal, which is which is obviously a fossil fuel, uh, so-called so uh, carbon emitter. And so there would be a lot of uh, a lot of issues here. At the same time, he's calling uh, for us to phase out all carbon emissions from the U.S. power grid in uh, 14 years from now. So uh, there's that. There's $400 billion to care for elderly and expand housing for senior citizens. They want to establish a national lab dedicated to climate change to be housed at a historically black college or university. So uh, a lot of this bill has absolutely nothing to do with what we think of as infrastructure, but like a lot of things in the coming days, and we should be used to this, particularly during the conversation that we've been having about uh, gender and so on, that often things will masquerade under a popular sounding name in order to divert scrutiny from what's lying under the surface. All right, you got you got three things posted right now at um, at the Acton Power blog. Um, we have one minute. Can you uh, can you tell us the three things? The study, uh, the study one on teachers unions, the Suez Canal, and the uh, Jesus was a political revolutionary. Can you just highlight what's in each of those so people will be drawn to them? 
Sure. The uh, Suez Canal, of course, was blocked by a ship. And uh, I go on and take this as an extended metaphor for our economy. So often the government blocks people's access to, econ to economic growth. It blocks people from getting jobs, blocks people from participating. It blocks those who would otherwise have jobs from getting their foot on the uh, first rung of the economic ladder. So we go through all of the ways that the government or various other policies block people and block the flow of money. Uh, where it comes to... Um, uh, the uh, Jesus was a revolutionary. Ibram X. Kendi, the author of uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, was speaking in a church a few years ago, and the vi video has gone viral. You can see it at blog.acton.org. But uh, what, I, what I end up doing there is uh, going through his remarks. He claims that Jesus was a political revolutionary, not a savior, that we should reject, quote, savior theology, which requires us to uh, believe that uh, our primary job is to convert people. And, uh, of course, our primary job, according to the Great Commission, is precisely that. Uh, it's funny because right behind him, in huge relief, are carved the words of the Great Commission from Jesus. Go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded, with, uh, commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's Jesus' idea of the Christian job. That's the job that we need to be uh, performing as Christians, and that's the most important thing, not any political revolutionary act, not any politically reactionary act, nothing to do with politics because that kingdom is not of this world. So uh, that, uh, that I think, is an incredibly important article. There's yet another study which shows that the primary driver behind uh, closing schools and whether they open in person or not has nothing to do with the level of pandemic, has nothing to do with infection levels, it has to do with the power of teachers' unions. This study goes in a little greater depth and shows exactly the one factor that predicts whether and how how much power those unions yield and whether a school will open in person or not. I'm not going to give it away, but you can check it out. All right. Um, I suspect you might be interested that uh, uh, teachers in, um, in San Diego are teaching uh, migrant kids in person, but they are not teaching uh, public school kids in person. There you go. That's a little uh, that's a little something for you to research. Ben Johnson, I uh, love talking with you. Thank you so much for all of the input you give us each and every week. Uh, and blessings Thank on you. this holy week and Easter. God bless you. Christ is risen. Oh, he is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. We got to take a brief break and then we'll be right back. All righty, how are you praying toward Easter, how are you praying about the opportunities that God might present to you in the next couple of days to extend the gospel to someone else, invite them into uh, into Holy Week, into this Maundy Thursday, into Good Friday, into the events that change the world? Like, how, how do we help people understand that this, this right now, this is the hinge of history. All of history hangs on the cross of Christ. I'm going to talk with Kathy Branzell about Easter, memories, ideas, traditions, hopes, prayers, all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Think about the last time you opened your son's or daughter's report card. Do you remember how you responded to their academic performance? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whether you saw straight A's, C's, D's, or F's, you had a choice in that moment about how to value your team. See, grades are important, but we can't forget that marks don't determine a child's value. And while it's important to do well, 
it shouldn't overshadow our relationship. My challenge to you is to look at the next report card, take a deep breath, then encourage your child. Help them work hard at school, but be sure that they know you love them no matter what, whether A's or F's or anything in between. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Zell joins me now. She is my dear friend, sister in Christ, and heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. So um, most people are focused on what's happening this weekend. I know you are also really intensely focused on what's happening, wow, just barely a month from now. Let's, um, let's, let's begin with May the 6th. Thursday, May the 6th, and how we can be praying for you in preparation for the National Day of Prayer. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, the, uh, everybody knows that uh, our nation is different by zip code as far as things opening up. And so if you'll just be praying um, for our 19,000 volunteer coordinators who wow. are um, diligently passionately and carefully planning their National Day of Prayer events for May 6th. Um, my prayer is that there will be great weather from coast to coast because a lot of events will be held outside. People are eager to be in person. And so, of course, there'll be virtual events, but, uh, but a lot of in-person events. We are grateful um, for the generosity of many people opening up large venues for free uh, so that people can come and still have some social distancing. And so we're grateful for that. And then, of course, we will have our national broadcast from 8 to 10 p.m. on May 6th. And you'll be able to find that on many stations, uh, television stations, as well as the Internet and Facebook Live. So great. Let's um, let's just pause right now and um, and pray over all of that. Thank Father, you. thank you. Yeah, thank you in advance, Father, for um, how you intend to reveal and glorify and honor yourself on May the 6th in the National Day of Prayer events across the country. We ask your particular anointing right now on the 19,000 um, volunteer coordinators across the country and upon Kathy and her team uh, heading this up at a national level. We do pray a weather prayer, Father. You... Um, you're so gracious, and, and you're obviously abundantly able to answer a weather prayer. Like, that's like really simple for you. So we just ask, looking uh, looking ahead to May the 6th, that you would orchestrate the environment in such a way that it would be a beautiful day, coast to coast across the, the country, at least for the windows of time that these events are taking place outside. We do thank you for the generosity of um, of those people who are opening up large venues, and we thank you for the way that you are pouring out your spirit um, upon this event, we ask, Father, that you would honor yourself in the midst um, of all of it uh, during the National Day of Prayer and every day that your people bow the knee to you um, in honor in this country. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, amen. Thank you. Thank you, friend. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So um, Easter is um, upon us. I mean, we don't want to. We want. We don't really want to dash through the events that are left in Holy Week, right? Because really important yes. things happen uh, today right. and tomorrow um, and Saturday. Um, for those for those who are thinking about continuing to prayerfully prepare themselves, um, I just want to open the door of opportunity for you to just talk about this week and. Um, mm-hmm and the events left in this week, and then also uh, some Easter reflections. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, I I have spent this week, and I would challenge all of our, our listeners to go back and read about Jesus's last days, last hours, and last words very slowly, uh, maybe with a pen in your hand, and just writing down uh, things that hit you anew. And uh, for some reason, just even thinking about today, Monday, Thursday, and the fact that Jesus washed Judas's feet, knowing, mm-hmm. fully knowing that he was being betrayed for 30, 30 pieces of silver, but he in no way acted um, differently towards Judas so that when he started talking about being betrayed, everybody at dinner was like, well, who, who's it going to be? And some were even like, is it going to be me? You know, and, and what does that look like for us in society today where um, maybe you've been offended? You know, all the things that are dividing us, all the hurt, uh, part of National Day of Prayer will be about issuing apologies. Um Because there's power in saying, I have sinned, Lord Jesus, and I'm sorry. And that releases forgiveness and healing. And and so just thinking about how Jesus thought, spoke, and acted towards people that he even knew were betraying him. And and so that's one of the things that has really... um, been close to my heart this week. And then secondly, so many times we want to rush past tomorrow. We want to rush past Friday to get to Sunday. We want to overlook and maybe not even read out loud the violence of Friday and just rejoice in the victory of Sunday. But we have to remember that we have abundant life. We are fully forgiven because of what Jesus did on Friday. And I even sat and and wrote down a list the other day of all that Jesus endured and pain that we, we can't even comprehend and understand because he took the wrath of God. My sin debt, he paid that for the first time in all eternity. In that moment, he was separated from his father. Why have you forsaken me? something, a pain we can't understand, but that's how much he loved us. And that's your worth. And, and I just pray that anybody that's listening, who's been doubting their worth, doubting their purpose, doubting, um, that they belong here, that they have any, any worth or value at all, that they would remember and read through what Jesus did for them on Friday, on Good Friday, going to the cross um, so that they could have abundant life, so that they could live. Yeah, he definitely, um, it's it's definitely a day upon which the value that God places upon us 
is what we must consider Mm -hmm. Uh, because the value that God places upon us um, is reflected in his willingness to die for us. And that is, that is really, well, we should be slack jaw awed by that. Yes. And, and humbled and humbled and grateful um, and burdened and thrilled and on our faces. I mean, they're just, yes, Yes. worshipful. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Kathy Branzell and I from the National Day of Prayer Task Force are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, And I just want to, you know, I just want to echo what Kathy has said. Let's uh, let's spend time rereading the accounts of Jesus's last days and last acts and last words. Um, We'll be right back. All right, we have a listener, Kathy, who uh, who has texted us. Uh, her name's Lori. Um, she says, "I always think there's a soundtrack uh, for for Easter, for for Lent, for uh, Holy Week." She says, "I always think of Carmen's song." She's not talking about me. She's talking about the singer songwriter, uh, the champion, mm-hmm. and uh, Sundays on the way as encouragements during this time. He's told the stories really well. Um, I'll acknowledge that a couple of the songs sort of that play in my Easter heart and and head soundtrack um, are like Watch the Lamb by Ray Bolts. Like I can't, I I mean, like, right, I'm just just like so drawn in and captivated by that particular song. So let me just ask, do you have um, do you have a heart and head soundtrack um, for this season? Wow. that would be so fun to create. I I think that so music is my go to worship, and 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 so I was thinking about that during the break. That sometimes you just don't know how to respond when you are just in awe of Jesus. When you when something happens and you're so grateful, you think your heart's going to explode. Um, it my go to is music, and and I'm kind of a an old soul. And so my playlist tends to go to some of the hymns and um, whether I am frightened, whether I am uh, in a moment of, of doubt or fear or, or victory, whatever it is, my go-to song is Because He Lives, mm. I Can Face Tomorrow. Yeah, that I, I love that song. It plays over and over in my head and I'm so grateful. He's my because. Um, because He... I can because he because of Friday I can because of Sunday I can because he came I am because and and so that's one of my favorite um uh, like I said music's my go-to worship and um so that's beautiful I love that that you shared that but you know going back to how do we respond um you know sadly today April 1st and while we're focused on Easter, while we're focused on Resurrection and uh, Sunday and Holy Week, there are some people today who are focused on April Fool's Day. And um, I never really understood that day, why, well, why we have a day where it's okay to trick people and lie. But, um, you know, maybe all in good fun. I don't, I don't know. But um, last time I studied the book of Proverbs— 
I was doing a study and there wasn't a lot of homework. There wasn't a lot of meat to the study. And God just prompted me to get a blank journal and draw a line um, vertically, top to bottom, uh, across the page. And I wrote um, a fool on one side and and what wisdom on the other side and went through and wrote down what what does a wise person do and what does a fool do? And I realized that when you walk in the wisdom of the Lord, which only happens by taking his hand and walking with him, you, you, you don't get wisdom in the drive through. Wisdom is a journey. And the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but you haven't gotten it all. <laughs> it's the beginning. And, and that's a form of worship. Walking in his word, his will, his way, his wisdom um, is a form of worship. And and in what Jesus did for us, there's got to be a worshipful response. And uh, so if you just don't know what to do, first of all, say thank you. Um, praise him. But you can, by walking in a response and a worshipful response for what he did, um, that gives him glory. There's an obedience component to all of that. Um, you know, as we walk by faith and not by sight, I think the starting with gratitude and praise is essential. Um, and then following through with obedience is, um, I think, how we how we learn to uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit and um, become more and more conformed to the character of Christ. It's not where we start. I mean, as you say, wisdom right. is a journey. Um, which, right. you know, which also means that righteousness, although completely given to us in Christ, like, right, we are granted the very righteousness of Christ. We learn to walk in that step by step. So there's the justification that comes in the moment. And then there's the sanctification that um, that's worked out over the course of a of a life in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. I was really right. burdened yesterday, Kathy, for um, so I'll just ask your counsel on this. I was really burdened yesterday. Um, um, I have a, a new a new friend. Um, she's clearly, you know, in love with the Lord, but but she is um, hard toward people. I mean, mm -hmm. hardened toward people. Um, there is a um, there is a hardness toward people that I don't know how to. I just found myself as I was uh, sitting there. I, I mean, I mean, praying those those prayers silently while you're listening to someone talk and you're wondering how to. You know how to help, really, because it, that's a painful way to live. That is a painful way to right. live. Um, you can't. Yeah, it's, it's, it's seemingly impossible to me to love the Lord and not right. love people. Um, so maybe right. just right. talk I with agree. us about that. Well, a few things um, hit my heart. First of all, um, we are called to love. Jesus said, uh, "Love one another as." I have loved you. We talked about that, I think, last month um, or in February and writing down how has God loved you and realizing you're not loving him back. You're not walking in obedience if you're not loving. Uh, you're not you're not walking in the character of Christ. You're not being obedient. Um, pro there's a root to every fruit. We've talked about that many times. Um you know, every action has a root to it. There's a cause. And she's probably been hurt by people. Who hasn't? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. But um, going back to our discussion this today, 
what Jesus was betrayed. Um, he, a mob came and got him in a familiar place in the darkness with swords and torches. Uh, he was um, hurt by the religious people. He was slapped. Uh, there wasn't a real trial. They mustered up a group of people who would cry crucify. It, it, he was beaten. The, the garment of flesh that he uh, emptied himself into to come dwell with us was torn as he was flogged by bone and glass and metal. And, you know, uh, just what? Um, all of these things. Uh, he was almost crushed by the weight of the cross as people were yelling and mocking. And they pull one man out to help him carry his cross not as a moment of pity or compassion, but just to keep him alive so they could kill him. And then mm -hmm. what does Jesus say from the cross? What is Jesus's prayer request? He could have called down a legion of angels. He, he, pro he probably could have spoken and destroyed the earth in that moment. But what does he say? Father, forgive them. That's his prayer request at the cross. After everything he endured the last 24 hours, Father, forgive them. And so why not us? There is so much freedom. I'm, I'm so sad for your friend. An angry person is not living an abundant life. A cold-hearted person, a hard-hearted person is not living abundant life because the weight of unforgiveness, the weight of hate, the weight of despondency, the weight of, well, I'm just not going to care. It's not that I hate them. It's just, I don't care. What a cold, sad life. And so we, um, we need to remember the love that we get to walk in and have that overflowing. There's something clogging her well, mm. his or her well. There's something that needs to be released. And I would just ask you to talk to her, just like Jesus talked to the woman at the well. He knew everything about her and he didn't interrupt her, but... He just allowed her to talk, to get all that hurt, all that rejection, um, all that pain out of her well. And when she overflowed, she was, you know, probably the least uh, expected person to run through the streets of Samaria and say, come meet the man who knows everything I did. Come meet. He, she caused revival to break out in Samaria. That's exactly and right. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, so just be willing to listen to people and let them get their hurt out without lecturing them, without um, trying to fix them. Uh, just let people talk uh, so that so that healing can be released. Amen. Kathy, as always, thank you so very much. Um, blessings on you. We look forward to talking with you again in anticipation of the National Day of Prayer. But I want everybody yes. to uh, mark their calendars and check it out, nationaldayofprayer.org. It is Thursday, May the 6th. Kathy, um, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, friend. Love you. Um, so as we, uh, as we consider the events of this day and as we consider the crucifixion of Jesus in the hours to come, I recognize that it was, you know, some 2,000 years ago, but when we talk about all of human history hanging on the hinge of, of who Jesus is and what he accomplished, I want you to consider that we talk about this as the year of the Lord, 2021. And so um, if you are encountering people who don't think Easter matters and don't think Jesus matters and uh, don't see him as relevant to their lives, um, you could even just use the marker of the date. 
that this is the year of the Lord 2021. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And this, this today may well be the day of salvation for that individual. So let's keep that in focus and keep that in mind. Jesus loves them. um, And so must we. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.